0: Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to the foreign and domestic podcast uh today uh we're going to be going over uh interesting political stories or uh interesting facts and trivia uh regarding uh domestic and international
1: politics i'm jake and i'm will so this is a little bit different than usual um i've gathered a lot of kind of wacky stories um or just kind of interesting stuff um uh, different events that have happened some scandals some uh races so we want to just jump right in i can start off with uh two of my favorite senate races let's do it so um in 2000 there was a senate race in missouri and um governor mel carnahan he was the sitting governor and there's a a lot of governors that eventually run for Senate because Mm. they're term limited or this or that he was running against, he was a Democrat and he was running against incumbent Republican Senator John Ashcroft. Um, It was a pretty heated campaign. um, But the night before um, there was obviously the presidential election that year And there was to be a debate in Missouri, um, between Bush and Gore. And, um, you know, this would have significant relevance for the Senate race Mm -hmm. because if Gore did better, it was more likely that Mel Carnahan would win that seat. But the night before that happened, um, just three weeks before the election he tragically died in a plane crash oh wow so um the lieutenant governor ascended to the governorship um and filled out that term and they weren't able to remove his name from the ballot but sort of unofficially his wife jean carnahan was the new democratic candidate um and the dead guy won wow
0: and so So, uh did um his wife just end up taking the seat
1: yeah his his wife was uh, appointed to the seat um and the guy who lost that senate seat as we mentioned earlier was john ashcroft who rather famously went on to be attorney general under the George W. Bush administration.
0: So, so. So, a dead guy taking his seat kind of. A dead guy. Advanced that. his career.
1: So, there were. Whenever, um, you know, the late night shows would have an issue with John Ashcroft, <laughs> they would say, well, you lost a Senate race to a dead guy. <laughs>
0: Which. It's, he did. It's, it's true. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Do you want to just go back and forth, or?
1: Yeah, sure. We can go back and forth.
0: Alrighty, let's let's whip out um the first fact. So, um, uh, this uh, comes from uh the great country of Liberia. Um, so Charles King, uh, he won the 1927 Liberian presidential pe- uh, presidential election uh, with 96 percent of the vote. Um, and this election actually had the highest turnout um, ever in history because um, it had an election turnout of 1,680%. that was because uh, King had rigged the election so bad that he ended up winning 243,000 votes in a country with only 15,000 registered voters. Um, and the uh, Guinness Book of World Records uh, called it the most fraudulent election in history. And of course, nobody could say anything because at the time, Liberia was dominated by the true Whig Party, which King was a part of. But still, if you're going to rig an election, don't make it that obvious. Yeah, that's uh, pretty drastic. 243,000 votes with only 15,000 registered voters. I think his opponent won
1: 9,000. I mean, I, I I don't know if there's like any good metric to uh, assess the like degrees of election rigging, but <laughs> you know th- that's one metric one could use. <laughs> just com-
0: just compare it to the Liberian election. Yeah, that's insane sixteen hundred percent turnout.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, oh. I mean that's that's crazy.
0: And and uh he he actually stepped down a few years later because um it was kind of revealed that Liberia was still sort of engaging in slavery in the plantation system, so he oh, stepped down man. out of embarrassment. But at least he well, won that election.
1: Yeah, he'll he'll always have those <laughs> what two hundred some thousand votes. <laughs>
0: okay, right, so this right.
1: this next one starts um when so in this we have Frank Murkowski um which is actually sort of the opposite of the last story he went from being in the senate to being a governor mm. so reverse but yeah. I mean yeah the, the that happens too um but he he had left his senate seat vacant um so he you know interviewed people to um be appointed to fill that Senate seat, one of whom was Sarah Palin. Oh no. But he eventually appointed his daughter, Lisa Murkowski. So this this upset Sarah Palin and sort of the like populist uh sort of they would become the Tea Party. Um and they were not able to defeat her in 2004 when she was next up for re-election. But in 2010, uh, a man by the name of Joe Miller ran a primary challenge against uh, the sitting senator, Lisa Murkowski, which, you know, that's that's not uncommon uh, for more moderate senators to get challenges from the flanks of their party. But much of the, like, tea party movement that had materialized at this point coalesced behind him Mm -hmm. and he won the primary so lisa murkowski um did not want to give up that seat so she you know floated the idea of running with the libertarian party well oh the the issue was she wasn't a libertarian so the libertarian party said no <laughs> so she said okay i'm gonna run a write-in campaign which is i mean we, which is a, a feat regardless but it's especially difficult when your last name is murkowski mm-hmm. so she she would she ran ads just telling people how to spell her name <laughs> and she won <laughs> Is are, are there uh, videos online of uh, these ads i I'm, I'm sure you could you could find some but yeah it, it was there were some votes that were contested because of misspellings but even if all of those votes had been thrown out she still would have won that's in this, fantastic uh, yeah it's three-way race and you know what today uh so and in that race sarah palin endorsed the other republican and you know what? Today, Lisa Murkowski is in Alaska, and Sarah Palin is singing Baby Got Back.
0: On I saw that. That, that the scared me. I thought that was like a joke or like an SNL skit, but it turned out to be a real thing. No, it was, it was very real. That is yeah. extremely scary. All right. Um,. Here we go this is another one from Liberia but this is just uh one of the worst yet best uh campaign slogans in history so um in the uh most of the 1990s Liberia was uh fighting the first Liberian civil war and so eventually the original government was overthrown but the country was still in chaos different groups fighting each other um and uh the war uh, was ended because the United Nations brokered um, a deal to have an election, and so one of the uh, most powerful rebel leaders, Charles Taylor of the uh, National Patriotic Party that he formed after uh, the war's conclusion, ran in the nineteen ninety-seven Liberian presidential election, and uh, he won it with seventy-five percent of the vote. Right, that sounds rigged, but it was actually uh, the election was overseen by the UN and and it was confirmed as completely. Um, legitimate and the thing is though his main campaign slogan that he ran on was quote he killed my ma he killed my pa but I'll still vote for him and he won 75% of the vote likely that was because people feared him because his rebel group was quite brutal but still that that, that's not usually that's not something you can uh, uh, run on in the US and and, uh, get any votes for
1: yeah that's that's pretty drastic um i don't i mean i guess if the election wasn't- fraudulent then fine, but wow, yeah
0: I mean yeah Africa's full of these uh insane uh political stories then I guess anything really goes over there in Liberia it seems
1: yeah, okay, so my next one is uh actually pretty recent um you might remember it a lot mm. of our listeners might remember it um it took place you know during sort of the build-up to impeachment in like october um and a a key figure in all of this was mitt romney no fan of donald trump um and he doesn't really have any electoral concerns because he'd just been elected and you know utah loves him Mm -hmm. (laughs) so certainly considering voting uh to convict trump and he eventually did um and he's long um had you know a lot of politicians have certain reporters that they like certainly get along with uh, Mm. and you know they are the people who write profiles on them um and For Mitt Romney, that person is McKay Coppins from The Atlantic. And he published a profile of Mitt Romney about sort of his thought process through all of this. Um, And in that profile, Mitt Romney uh, gave out a little nugget of information. Um, He explained that he uses a secret Twitter account. um, And (laughs) gave out some specific information about it he said i won't give you the name of it but i'm following 668 people and he recited some of the count, the accounts he follows um (laughs) saying what's his name the big redhead from boston (laughs) he's referring to conan Mm o'brien um and so you know another reporter to look through and find this account. And they looked through his granddaughter's um, followers and found one account that stuck out. Um at QAWS nine mm. eight seven six, otherwise known as Pierre Delecto. <laughs> um it joined the site in 2011, so apparently this was something that had been around, around from a lo- for a long time. Uh, that happened to be one month after Romney announced his run, his second run for president in 2012, and he follows 70, 702 accounts as of the time of you know this article. This all took place back in October uh which was a couple more than 668 but you know followers change yeah and um asked about it and all he had to say was C'est moi. <laughs> so he, he admitted that this was him <laughs> and he'd been um you know lurking on this for uh, in this website for quite a long time.
0: That's interesting. You don't really hear about that. Usually it's just like, oh yeah, follow my Twitter, and it's just the main Twitter. You know, that that, that that's funny. I wonder how many um, politicians have secret Twitter accounts that they use. I, I, I wonder that that that's interesting. Probably a lot, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Cause, you, yeah know, I mean... you know, we saw what happened uh, with Ted Cruz the, that one time. You know. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> So, I, I've
1: actually got a story not quite like that, but um, you know what? This is kind of a short one, mm-hmm. so I'll just segue into that. All right. Um, really quick. So Jimmy Carter, when he was running for president, um, he gave an interview to Playboy magazine. Oh. And he he gave quite a quote <laughs> during that interview. Um, he said. I've looked on a lot of women with lust. I've committed adultery in my heart many times. So, <laughs> it, it, was, it was part of a more nuanced discussion about his faith and, you know, mm-hmm. but it, it was it was certainly taken out of context and it, it became an interesting quote.
0: <laughs> not, not exactly so. uh, the best when you're running for president. Especially no, at that time. No. But he won. <laughs> I mean, whatever that works.
1: Was... Yeah. Okay.
0: Alrighty. So, uh, for my third fact, um, this is just uh, some uh, interesting fact um, about uh, Myanmar, also called uh, Burma. Um, it transitioned into democracy uh, in 2011, uh, 2010, 2011. There was an election in 2010, and then it officially became like a democracy in 2011. Um, they were previously under uh, military rule for pretty much most of the country's existence essentially since independence they've been under various military regimes um, and uh, the 2010 Constitution uh, that was written uh, to establish the democracy uh, that's still in place today uh, mandates that uh, 25% of parliamentary seats are reserved uh, for the military so the military despite officially uh, not being like the government still maintains a presence in government because of that constitution and that, and that hasn't been changed yet as far as i know it, it, yeah, just, it just like shows the deep uh effects that uh decades of military rule um has had on the country it's basically just become a i guess uh just a societal thing like people are used yeah, to that's it that's
1: weird it's one of, I, one of the few countries some, like that some other countries have um systems where they actually have like seats for stakeholders like certain industries Mm -hmm. in their parliaments but yeah yeah, doesn't doesn't
0: hong kong have uh seats for particular companies
1: yeah yeah that's interesting um so this next one um isn't quite as exciting but it's kind of relevant to what a lot of people are talking about Mm -hmm. at present um somebody who's very much become a national figure during the whole coronavirus response um both through his you know competent handling of the situation um filling the roles of incompetence at the presidential level um and the mayoral level because god knows bill de Blasio (laughs) but um Andrew Cuomo has become a national figure and There's even, you know, some talk, this is not something that's a real possibility, but there's some talk of him um, being nominated uh, to be the Democratic presidential nominee Mm. at a convention. Um, That's not going to happen, but um, it's a a good time to bring up an interesting story about his father, Andrew Cuomo, and his own you know, deliberations as to whether he would run for president or not. And, um, wait, did I say Andrew again? I meant Mario yeah. Cuomo. His father's Mario Cuomo. Um, although Andrew Cuomo has said he, he is not considering running for president, Mario Cuomo um, considered it very strongly. And there's a long tradition of, um, you know, the, the person who gives the keynote speech at the convention four years earlier is the people who give keynote speeches at conventions for losing nominees often went on to be the next nominee. Hmm. Um, Barack Obama gave the keynote speech at the 2004 convention nominating uh, John Kerry. Um, uh, Bill Clinton gave the 90 the 1988 speech um and while while his speech wasn't inspiring it it was a different sort of weird this is a little aside his speech went on so long he went over his allotted time and then some to the point where people were booing him and and people finally started clapping when he said in conclusion (laughs) wow but four years prior um Walter Mondale had been nominated to be the Democratic nominee uh, against Ronald Reagan's re-election bid. Mm. And um, Mondale had given Mario Cuomo the keynote speaking slot. And he gave this rousing speech, um, and it was very popular. So since that point, there had been speculation as to wh- whether he would run for president and in 1992 uh both bill clinton and mario cuomo were considering running for president clinton had already thrown his hat in the ring um and it it was a weird time the the field was uh, some people were discouraged from running because it initially had seemed that hw bush was unbeatable Mm -hmm. um after uh Desert Storm and the success of that operation. There was certainly th- the sentiment that he was not a vulnerable president, and and there had not been a Democratic president since Jimmy Carter years earlier. So, Mario Cuomo was deliberating as to whether he would run, and you know he he was coming up ag- against the deadline to file. Um, for the New Hampshire primary. Um, It was December 20th, 1991. But Cuomo had um, basically promised that he would not go run for president unless he had resolved budget negotiations with the New York State Legislature prior to that. And he's coming down to this. The negotiations had not been resolved. And he has a decision to make. So he actually kept a plane Idling on the tarmac in Albany, New York, uh, waiting for him to go and file in New Hampshire to run for president. Now, ultimately, he did not take off in that plane, and he did not run for president, but mm. that's... Uh, <laughs> it's interesting. Uh,
0: if, if, so, if, if, so if I remember ma- correctly, that's the one uh, Ross Perot was in, and that's why Clinton ended up winning, right?
1: So... Uh, that's kind of the the pop culture interpretation of it. But actually, exit polls show that Perot drew from uh, Clinton and Bush equally. Mm. But, I mean, y- you never know. Exit polls aren't perfect. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so maybe when, um, when Andrew Cuomo was asked by his brother Chris Cuomo on CNN if he was considering running for president, his uh, father's famous indecision played a role in encouraging his, uh, decisiveness and answering simply no. <laughs> so. I mean, there you go. That, that, that was an interesting story. He, he kept a plane running just in case he wanted to. <laughs> just in case he wanted to. He had his staff write two speeches, one for if he did, one for if he did not. So.
0: I mean, hey, you gotta be prepared. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is a, uh, another fact, uh, coming out of Asia, this time Thailand. So. Um, in 2014, there was a military coup in Thailand. Um, so, uh, the the ruling military government that seized power uh, held elections last year, uh, 2019, and there they established a, a political party uh, from the original uh, military council that uh, controlled the government from 2014 till then. And so, uh, that party ended up getting a lot of the votes. Uh, the legitimacy of that is disputed, but you know um and uh that was just something i wanted to like uh point out another fact uh, that goes into that is uh that thailand has previously had uh 21 other military coups i think 12 of which were successful um and this uh ties in mainly because the uh armed forces they have they're actually considered um a political figure uh in thailand you know uh usually like uh as we see in the us here Uh, The military is supposed to be apolitical, they're supposed to protect the country as opposed to a particular politician. Well, in Thailand, they're seen sort of as like the guardians of uh, democracy and the guardians of their politics. So um, the 2014 coup, for example, it was against a pretty inefficient caretaker government of a pretty corrupt leader. And so... It just goes into the trend in Thailand that the military seizes power when things are bad. And then generally, it really depends on which military government we're talking about. There's been like 12 of them. Generally, they sort of try and fix things and restore democracy. But, um, you know, it it, it differs between military governments. But I I just thought it was interesting to share that uh, the armed forces are like a political actor there.
1: Yeah, that's something... Uh, I mean, certainly it's something you subtly see in a lot of other places. Um, you know, America has the military-industrial complex, and mm-hmm. the DOD certainly has its own political agenda, but not, not to that extent. Yeah, not, not, not where they're just that.
0: becoming the government. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, like, that's, it's, it's that's not open. Other... Like, in Thailand, everybody knows that the military plays an important role in politics like here not many people are like aware of like the the implications here it's
1: not an overt thing yeah and even when it is present it's not like uh, i mean i'm not trying to underplay the power of the defense department Mm -hmm. um but it's not hugely relevant yeah you know what i mean um okay so this next one this is sort of a short one and then i'll uh transition into a couple stories about um the nuclear codes Mm. um it's a little frightening (laughs) yeah so this is about the candy desk um in the u.s senate there's been a tradition since 1968 of the desk near the entrance of to the senate chambers um that senator keeping the desk stocked for candy, so members of the body can stop by and take some candy if they'd like. Uh, This started, um, was started by George Murphy from California, and the seat is always on the Republican side of the aisle, so it's always been a Republican senator who's maintained it, Mm -hmm. um, and eating's not actually allowed on the Senate floor. But, uh, they can, you know, take it out of the, <laughs> the chamber, I suppose. Um, some other senators who've maintained the desk include John McCain and, uh, Rick Santorum. And currently it's maintained by Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania. Uh, So he stocks it with candy from his home state of Pennsylvania, including uh, candy from the Hershey Chocolate Company. Mm. Um, And the Democrats actually also have a candy desk. Um, It's not a senator's desk. It's a a roll-top desk by the front wall that belongs to the United States Senate Democratic Conference Secretary um and it started later around like 1985 um and jay rockefeller was responsible for this uh until 2015 um and this one's not not nearly as well known so
0: yeah that's interesting okay I, i didn't know about that that's cool
1: yeah and then so the, the stories about the nuclear codes are actually here first let's do another uh, Jimmy Carter incident. Alright. Um, there <laughs> I feel like we going to kind be a of lot of on those. Jimmy Carter today, but um, Governor of Georgia. Um he reported seeing a unidentified flying object In the Sky Above Georgia in 1969. Jimmy Carter did? Jimmy Carter did. Wow. So, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I hope that once he was president, he got his uh, piece as to whether (laughs) that was a real UFO or not. (laughs) But that was... uh, That was an experience that he had, and um, I mean, he he had a little bit of a a reputation as sort of a a goofball, Mm -hmm. Um,
0: but yeah. It certainly seems like it. Yeah. Alrighty, so this next fact, uh, it comes out of El Salvador now. I have a Mm -hmm. few El Salvador facts on here. So, eight Salvadoran elections uh, have had a candidate receive 100 percent of the vote um wow yeah and all of them were of course rigged uh this was
1: 1915
0: 1919 1923 1927 1935 1939 1944 1962 um those were all of them uh all the years that there were an election where a candidate got 100 percent of the vote this could be for a number of different reasons but usually it's just because uh the elections were rigged um, another one that sort of like ties into this, uh, either this this one uh, was a uh, the 1982 Salvadoran presidential election. Um, only 60 people voted. Um, this was because uh, mainly El Salvador was in a civil war at the time, um, and so the military government was like transitioning to democracy, and so they held a um, a vote in the uh, Sel- uh, Salvadoran Congress, which is called the Legislative Assembly. Mm-hmm. and so um inst- instead of like a uh, like a proper vote, it was just sixty uh salvadoran congressmen <laughs> voting on who would become <laughs> the president and so uh th- there was thirty six votes um for one of the candidates, seventeen for the for the other, and then seven abstentions Wow, yeah.
1: That's like uh back in the days before we had open primaries and caucuses, some mm-hmm. uh state parties would schedule caucuses on a train and only notify the public once the train had left the station. <laughs> wow, so yeah, okay, so uh, to um tell this story, you need to know a little bit about um the nuclear football and the nuclear codes mm. um. People are, for the most part, familiar with the nuclear football. Um, It is not, I don't believe, some like high tech thing where you, uh, you know, press buttons and nukes get launched. Mm. It is a, I believe, like a binder or a computer or something with a series of nuclear targets um, for the president to choose from. And. I believe maybe a telephone apparatus or something uh, for him to connect with the joint chiefs of staff and uh, send the order down the chain of command. And he also carries um, with him at all times a um, card that has the nuclear codes that he reads to the um, joint chiefs or whoever he's giving the order to and um, to verify that this order is, you know, is to be executed. Mm -hmm. And a lot of presidents, you know, keep that in their breast pocket of their uh, suits. And some lose it, (laughs) which is not great (laughs) considering the implications. Mm -hmm. Um, Bill Clinton, for example, is reported to have lost it for months and and never told anybody um, until he was asked to produce it for a routine check, and he was like, "Well, <laughs> I kind so, of forgot
0: it somewhere. Maybe it was in the taxi that I uh, took a month ago."
1: That got sorted out, thankfully, uh, and, and no harm, no foul. Um, an, another such story, and I really I hate to be ragging on Jimmy Carter so much, but <laughs>
0: it's like the third one.
1: <laughs> yeah. He he left his card in a suit and sent it to the dry cleaners.
0: <laughs> oh no. I think so, I've heard this before.
1: Yeah, that uh that's not great.
0: <laughs> if I remember correctly, uh there's a proposal um by some some guy basically like they would like swallow the nuclear codes. And like you'd you'd have to kill someone to get them. I think that was a proposal back in the cold cold war. Weird. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty, so uh you're ripping on Jimmy Carter. I guess I'm ripping on El Salvador. So yeah. <laughs> um So the the twenty fourteen election in El Salvador, uh was a victory for the FMLN party. This was uh one of the former rebel groups in El Salvador is like the overall coalition during the Civil War. And so these guys ended up winning. Um, And as we know, El Salvador suffers from a lot of gang violence, mainly due to uh, Mara Salvatrucha, also known as MS-13. And so the FMLN was like, okay, we have a fantastic idea. So we're likely not going to win this election, so let's pay off the gang members to vote for us. And so they did that and ended up winning. They paid MS-13 members... To vote for them, in order to win.
1: Wow, <laughs> it sounds like uh, Chicago in the early 20th century.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: Yeah, except with the mob. Rather, right? I mean, mm-hmm. organized crime is organized crime, I suppose. But yeah, that that that's pretty remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I once I again, suppose there have been some pretty rigged elections.
0: <laughs> yeah. Pretty pretty much like I think half of Salvadoran elections in history have been rigged in some way. Wow. Yeah.
1: At my next three, my last three, are all uh, various uh, colorful scandals um, that congressmen have found themselves in. Ooh, funny. so I, how how familiar are you uh, with the Odyssey of former Representative Anthony Weiner?
0: Um. I'm not at all, actually. Do do enlightenment? Oh, this this is gonna be.
1: <laughs> so, it all started. This is another. Uh, this is the original Ted Cruz incident with Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> he forgot to log out of his Twitter account. Oh. And he posted on Twitter a explicit photograph of himself. Oh. Oh. And this is a big problem, obviously, because not only is he a congressman, but he's married. He's married to a woman named Huma Abedin. Um, And you know who their wedding was officiated by? Who? Former President Bill Clinton. Oh. Because, well... Anthony Weiner had been a rising star in the Democratic Party, Huma Abedin had been a longtime aide of Hillary and Bill Clinton. Mm. So this landed him in some hot water. And he eventually admitted that he had exchanged messages and photos of an explicit nature with about six women over the last three years. Jesus. And, um... Eventually, more photos of him were leaked, and he announced that he would resign from Congress. And he laid low for about a year or so, um, and then he decided to run for mayor of New York.
0: Mm.
1: Well... There's actually... He was running against Michael Bloomberg... (laughs) And he was running this kind of insurgent, um, this insurgent race um, after the scandal. And he, in fact, got some endorsements from some of his former colleagues in the House of Representatives. Interesting. He's actually sort of run for mayor twice before in 2005 and 2009. 2005 was when he was running against Michael Bloomberg. I I mistakenly said that that was in 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, But he asked people to give him a second chance. He did that whole thing. Well, (laughs) then some more stuff came out. He had used the alias Carlos Danger. (laughs) To continue sending explicit photographs to various women. Oh god. Um, he described himself to one of them as an argumentative, perpetually horny, middle-aged man. <laughs> so following this there were calls for him to drop out of the male oral race. But he held a press conferences a press conference with his wife and he said he'd continue his campaign and it didn't go so well he eventually only won five percent of the vote it it Ugh. was it, it was pretty disappointing um for him um i suppose <laughs> but he um his difficulties did not end there. Um, in 2016, there was a report that he had sent another picture to a woman, including while he was lying in bed with his toddler. So, with his son.
0: Oh. Oh.
1: Very young son. Um, Shortly after that, he and Huma Abedin um, separated, finally, <laughs> um, but it wasn't even over then. Less than a month later, that he had sent explicit photographs back and forth with a 15-year-old oh, in North Carolina. Oh, so, oh that's... Uh. And this happened in 2016.
0: Oh.
1: And something else was... His wife was working... His estranged wife was working on the Clinton campaign. So Uh. this is what led FBI Director James Comey to reopen the investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails... (laughs) 11 days before the 2016 presidential election. All because of the investigation into this. Wow. I, I did not know that. That's that's crazy. Did he go to jail or something yet? Um, he faced a sentence under a plea agreement um, of 21 to 27 months in federal prison and would be required to register as a sex offender. I, he was sentenced to 21 months in prison. Um, he only served, I believe, 18 months, and he was released to a halfway house. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that's the Odyssey of Carlos Danger, aka Anthony Weiner. I mean, my question is: Is your name destiny at that point? <laughs> like there, there's actually though there's a very good uh documentary i believe it's on hulu called wiener about his mayoral run mm. that i uh i encourage anybody to watch it's it's very interesting yeah that's wow
0: <sighs> what a quote-unquote interesting guy yeah all righty so that this is the last one i'm gonna use to rip on el salvador Okay. um I mean like uh just just before I say this i I don't actually hate el salvador it's it's just a joke I don't actually I hate have a, Jimmy
1: Carter. it's just the way the cookie crumbles.
0: <laughs> just have a little interesting fact. so the current president of El Salvador, who's actually quite popular uh recently used the uh, military to intimidate the legislature into um accepting uh one of his plans, so he sent the army in to occupy. Uh, the Legislative Assembly, in order to get them to, uh, vote to, uh, support a budget bill, um, I, I believe it's, it, it was either, I think he was accepting aid from the U.S., right, um, because they weren't gonna do that, so he just sent the army into Congress, basically, and said, alright, support the bill, or, uh, bad things will happen, and, uh, uh, basically, uh, he ended up getting what he wanted but um now uh the constitutional courts are not very happy with him for it this was actually recent this was this year so it's it's known as the 2020 salvadoran political crisis if you want to look into it but like oh weird it's interesting like he's an elected president he was elected in legitimate elections and he's just like all right i'm gonna send the army to (laughs) intimidate the congress
1: that's uh yeah (laughs) yeah that's certainly uh I would say more material scandal than um, the next two I'm going to talk about. Um,
0: <laughs> I mean, like, what, what what's interesting about him is, um, so the two major parties are Arena, which are, is the right-wing party, and then uh, the FMLN, which is the left-wing party. The current president has managed to piss off both parties. So
1: That's always a great place to be. <laughs> that's, that's an accomplishment. So is there going to be... Uh, wins the next election
0: uh i'm not sure but
1: oh boy <laughs> yeah uh he's probably in need of some election rigging there so yeah
0: i mean although he is quite popular because he's managed to really? uh, decrease uh crime there he's managed to uh effectively fight against the gangs so interesting that's why a lot of people like him but the uh, the politicians
1: don't well i mean Populism is a road to victory for some. (laughs) I guess so. Um, okay. So the, the next, uh, person, I'll I'll just check to see if you've heard of Aaron shock. I have not. Okay. So he was the first millennial member of Congress, Congress, Mm -hmm. um, from Illinois, 18th congressional district. So, uh, that's, um, near Peoria and Springfield. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was, I believe, 27 when he took office. Wow. Um, Yeah. Pretty young. Uh, He was a Republican. And um, he took office in 2009. And he um, sort of became a almost pop culture phenomenon. I mean, he was, like, telegenic. Um, He was on the cover of magazines and, you know, this and that and the other thing. He, and it seems he kind of got caught up in that sort of celebrity lifestyle. Um, it, it certainly wasn't to the extent that, you know, AOC has received all this attention, but he was a young, you know, telegenic member of Congress and he mm-hmm. received a lot of attention. Well, <laughs> he seemingly got a little ahead of himself with what he could do. So, he um, redecorated his congressional offices to look like homes from the television program Downton Abbey. Oh, no. (laughs) So, (laughs) people got wind of this, and, you know, ethical complaints were filed. Um, They said, again and again, Representative seeming obsession with his image impedes his ability to conduct himself in an ethical manner. <laughs> to this, Shock responded, haters gonna hate. <laughs> like, that's a that's
0: a direct quote?
1: That's a direct quote. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So, he, he certainly was not particularly, um, seemingly worried about this. Wow. Um, and here let me uh okay so he um finally agreed to uh pay the person who had done this redecorating because the issue was that it was essentially a gift and it was not proper (laughs) and because he had not paid them he eventually paid the decorator and he was further investigated however and it was found out that he had spent campaign money on workout dvds (laughs) okay and people realized well there's probably quite a bit of stuff here so they looked into it congressional expenditure reports and found that he had spent over a hundred thousand dollars redecorating his office and he had also charged thousands of dollars for private flights, legal expenses, new cars, tickets to the Super Bowl and Country Music Awards, as well as cufflinks, massages, gold equipment, and cigars wow. to the government. So there, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, this is this is most of it. There's stuff where he he charged too many miles. Um, he was forced to resign Jesus um, and he was prosecuted pleaded not guilty um and many of the counts against him were dismissed um and in march 2019 um the case was suspended for six months, but he was required to stand under court supervision. Um, and basically, all charges against him were eventually dropped. Mm-hmm. So there's there's another um, portion to this story. Um, I, I'm I'm going to be a little careful here, but uh, so Aaron Shock. Had been one of the most socially conservative members of Congress. Uh, he'd voted consistently uh, against gay rights.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: And in 2014, he was um, accused of he he was outed basically, mm-hmm. um, but he denied it, and everything was kind of you know people probably. Thought it was true, but he'd resigned and it wasn't really a news story. In 2019, um, he was photographed in some situations such as uh, tipping a male go-go dancer at a bar in Mexico City um, and engaging in some activities at Coachella that were uh, pretty indicative. He finally... um, this month, or not this month, last month, uh although it seems forever ago, March fifth, came out as gay in an Instagram post.
0: Interesting. Uh,
1: gay activists didn't much like it given that he um had voted consistently against uh gay rights while in Congress. So mm-hmm. yeah. That's the Odyssey of Aaron Shot.
0: <laughs> wow. I need I need to look more into these uh Congress stories. This is- this is some crazy yeah. stuff it's, it's,
1: there's somewhere i mean granted i i picked out the um, most entertaining ones mm-hmm. but
0: <laughs> yeah and right.
1: do you have any others because i only have, i have one more
0: i i have one more as well um okay. this one is just it's just like a blanket fact um 92 uh countries uh around the world have had uh military governments some with multiple um wow yeah uh, and that's crazy that's like a, a pretty much most of the world um and also every country in mainland south america with the exception of french guiana has previously had a military government wow yeah i mean part part of this is is, is due to the cold war of course like especially in latin america because uh cia backing of military governments to oppose uh communists um but also a lot of this is is just due to like politics in general. Like a lot of African countries have had military dictatorships. A lot of Asian ones. Um, some European ones. Pretty much every every continent, uh, with the exception of Antarctica, of course, has had a military government as well.
1: Wow, that's uh that's pretty. Sh- <laughs> yeah. That's pretty shocking. I mean,
0: the only uh, current one uh, is Sudan, but they're like sort of like half uh civilian as well now because of the uh agreement but they still
1: maintain a transitional military council huh okay so my last uh, story of congressional scandal um is about somebody from a famous family jesse mm. jackson jr his father jesse jackson senior ran for president was a famous activist um You know, very well-known civil rights advocate. Yeah, Um, I've heard of him. Yeah. Well, Jesse Jackson Jr. was involved in Chicago politics, and Mm. he eventually ran for House of Representatives. Um, And he he served there for about a decade um, until... Federal prosecutors began investigating him for alleged financial improprieties, including misuse of campaign funds. Uh oh. Um and in twenty twelve he resigned citing um, among other things, gastrointestinal problems, (sighs) although it was pretty clear that this was about the ethics investigations (laughs) yeah um and there's not really a long story here or um odyssey but just some of the things that he purchased uh with these campaign funds include a michael jackson fedora cashmere capes and um i believe um stuffed animals if I'm Interesting. not mistaken so yeah wow that's uh
0: I feel, I feel like through this podcast I've just uh become enlightened I mean crazy yeah, stuff
1: are, I, I mean think about it like before today you did not know these things I did I mean, not this is, this and, is and, incredible <laughs> this is fantastic I think we should do another one of these at, at some point we we should. I'll I'll have to look for more. Um, I I dug pretty deep, but I I'm sure there are other things because right. I like, I, I remember seeing all these different um stories and being like wow or like you you reading a book about some decade past in American politics and you you come across a scandal or this or that that's been mostly forgotten and it's just like wow, <laughs> cannot believe that we've just blown past that so <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll have to do another one of these uh and yeah. if you can find some more foreign ones those were really good too that's uh some wacky stuff goes on uh in foreign elections especially
0: <laughs> lots of election rigging in my my yeah my facts yeah all right well uh thank you everybody uh for listening uh this has been foreign D- and domestic i'm jake and i'm will and we'll see you in the next one peace okay